I might lose it on my partner, on my dog, on my child. And now I'm yelling, I'm screaming, maybe I'm cussing, maybe I'm slamming doors. And there can be so much shame around these moments and these action that we take. But again, it's that part of us. Again, just the part. It's that anger that's jumping in the driver's seat as sort of a protect motion. Because maybe now if I get loud, maybe now you'll hear me. Or maybe if I'm loud, then maybe you'll get away from me so I can get the space that I'm so craving. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Dr. Cassidy is a marriage and family therapist offering her services to individuals, couples, and families. She's a mama of three little ones and has an incredible Instagram account and podcast in which she helps women tackle these beautiful yet challenging years of motherhood. I'm excited to get into all the things, but first, we'd love it if you introduced yourself for our audience and added how you decided to become a therapist and serve women in this way. Yeah. Thank you so much, first off, for having me. I'm such a huge fan of your podcast, and it's honestly such an honor that you guys reached out and asked me to come on. I'm so excited to get a chance to spend the next 45 minutes, hour with the two of you chatting about all of these just really important topics that I know we're going to touch on. So first, thank you. And I am Dr. Cassidy Freitas. And as you mentioned, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three. My um, oldest is nine. Um, my son is six, um, almost seven. And then our baby, June, turning one this month. So definitely have been in my feelings about that because she's our third most likely our last. And so uh, it's definitely a big milestone. Um, I feel like she's not a baby anymore, almost. And so uh, when I'm not, you know, just spending time with my kids, I am um, hosting my podcast, Holding Space, um, where I share conversations with other experts from around the world, all things related to motherhood and parenting, um, specifically related to postpartum especially. And yeah, you asked why I became a therapist and why I chose to work with postpartum families in particular. So I wanted to become a therapist um, because I was actually, my parents are both attorneys and they um, really want, thought I'd be a great lawyer and they kind of were, you know, really encouraging that. And um, my mom is a public defender for children who are abused. And so I was volunteering at a shelter for children, um, just kind of getting a sense of if that might be a population that I'd really want to work with. And there were some therapists, MFTs and social workers there at the shelter. And I found that I was so inspired by the skills and the tools that they had to really support these children and their families as well. 
So I decided to go the route of um, becoming a therapist. Well, at first, at first I was thinking psychiatry. So I was actually pre-med for a while, but then I found myself during another internship at UCLA hospital on the labor and delivery floor, really being much more interested in having conversations with um, the, the couples after their baby was born, much more so than being in the room during their, you know, C-sections or during the delivery itself. I was much more interested in talking to them about how they were feeling and about just that huge transition. So then I switched over from pre-med to psychology. And then after I got pregnant, uh, I got, I had my first, um, after I graduated from my MFT program and that experience really rocked us. Um, my partner, he experienced postpartum depression, which I didn't know was a thing for partners at the time. And I was struggling with anxiety and I was a therapist and I thought that I, we were so prepared, but we weren't. And so that experience and the challenges of that experience, once we healed from, you know, the pain of, of that first year, that experience really became the muse for doing the work that I do today. Um, just, I was thinking, Hey, if I'm a therapist and I was rocked by this experience and I at least knew where the resources were and where to go to get help, I can only imagine what others are experiencing, but I, don't feel like we're talking about this enough, you know, like partners getting, you know, experiencing postpartum depression and rage and irritability. Nobody was asking me about that. And I was too ashamed to, to admit that I was feeling really irritable. And I just thought that I was supposed to power through the challenges of breastfeeding and sleep deprivation, because that's just what you do, I guess. But that's not what you, what you need to do. You don't need to white knuckle through these experiences. There's so much that we can be doing to really, truly prepare, putting so many protective factors into place. And that's what I wanted to do with the folks that I work with in my practice. And now that I also hope to do at a, at a larger scale through social media and through the podcast. And so, yeah, that's kind of like the Cliff's Notes version, I think, of, of why I do the work that I do and how I got here. And Dr. Cassidy, you do exactly that with bringing your professional experience as well as that personal experience and bringing your whole heart into what you do. So we feel it as your followers. We feel it as your listeners. And then on the podcast today, we hope that our community can hear the same. And I did watch one of your videos. It was called Anxiety, Perfection, and Me. And I can relate personally to the shame, the guilt that really comes along with having that perfectionist personality. And this one, it's been really hard, especially in parenthood, because as all of us know, parenthood is messy. It can't be done perfectly, no matter how hard we try, no matter how far we plan ahead. And when you spoke to your anxiety in this video, you said, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with my kid. And that part really resonated. So mm. for others listening who have that perfectionist mindset or who love people with this type of personality... Can you talk about how you help women work themselves out of the perfectionism? Mm, yeah, such a good question. And these these, these videos that you're kind of, that you're speaking of were um, an idea that came to me where a lot of times what I'll do with my clients is we do a lot of externalizing work where, you know, a lot of times we experience anxiety, we experience perfectionism, and it feels like it's 
taking up all the space in our, in our identity and in our mind and in our hearts and in, in our lives, right? So sometimes what I'll do with clients is we'll do work in externalizing these parts of ourselves because they're just parts, right? Like we are all as human beings wired for anxiety. And I'll touch on this in a bit, but perfectionism is a very close friend relative of anxiety. They're very much connected. So what, I, what I'll do with clients sometimes is I'll really support them in getting in touch with the part of themselves that pops up when they have anxious thoughts or distressing, intrusive, scary thoughts, um, or when they have perfectionist thoughts. Like, let's really get to know that part of yourself. Like, if you were going to pull that part of you out and sit it on the chair or on the couch next to you here in this room with me, what would this part of you look like? How do you feel in its presence? What would it have to say? Um, what's the message and data that it's trying to give you, right? Um, or direction it's trying to give you. And why this work can be so powerful is it really can help people see that these are parts of themselves, right? And as we begin to identify this part of ourselves, we can begin to develop a relationship, a new relationship with this part of themselves, one where you're in the driver's seat and you recognize that there's also the part of you that can pause, can regulate, can make a decision based on your own values and how you want to respond in a situation or what's realistic or what's more compassionate versus having that anxiety or perfectionism be the driver of your life. So I do this work with clients and I was trying to think of a creative way to bring this to the social media, Instagram platform. And TikTok was kind of, you know, going viral and all these fun videos, um, these sort of short clips, reels came on Instagram. So I was like, okay, what is a way I can really bring this to life here for this community and this audience who can't be in the therapy room with me. So I decided to act out my own anxiety <laughs> and perfectionism. And I put together this little series of videos where um, anxiety kind of pops up in different situations and then perfectionism kind of, you know, sneaks in and I have like dialogue with these parts of myself. So for the one that you're, you're talking about, this was in, in an IGTV because I really wanted to kind of dive deeper than what I could do in a reel. And in this scenario, you know, anxiety pops up and anxiety is doing its job in trying to keep me safe because that's truly why we are all wired for anxiety. It's that part of us that comes in and says there's something there's, there. It feels like there's something that could be a threat. And so we have scary thoughts about this potential threat. We worry about this thing. We ruminate about it. Um, anxiety is different from fear. Fear shows up and turns on this whole system in our body when there's a, an identifiable threat right present with us in that moment, right? If I'm walking down the street and I see a big dog, you know, running towards me that looks dangerous, I'm going to feel afraid and it's going to turn on my fight or flight system to hopefully help me stay safe and defend myself or run away and be protected. But anxiety, anxiety, you could be sitting in your house where there's no real threat there, but your mind takes you to those places. And becoming a parent is so vulnerable. So anxiety is going to pop up and think of all the potential ways in which this beautiful human being you brought into the life that you love so much, um, that bad things could happen to them or to you, because now there's so much more to live for. And you can think you can have anxiety about, you know, something bad happening to us or our children. You know, that's just one example of anxiety. Anxiety can show up for so many other reasons. And so 
Anxiety is something that we're all wired for, and it can be really distressing, though, and disturbing at times, sometimes the, the thoughts and images it can give us. Perfectionism. I see perfectionism as anxiety or fear dressed up in a way that's very controlled and perfect. And it's sort of this, this sort of experience of, you know, because I'm so anxious or afraid, what I want to do in response to that is to maybe have some more control. Maybe, just maybe, if I can be the perfect mom, if I can do everything perfectly, if I can have the perfect home, if I can um, respond to my child in the perfect way, if I can be perfect, then I'll be safe. Then we will be okay. And gosh, I mean, I really do struggle with this too. And so sometimes when I'm acting this out, perfectionism will come in and will whisper things to me like, you know, do you see what others are doing? Like, why can't you do it like that? Like what's wrong with you? And this can be a really slippery slope into shame. And so, you know, perfectionism is not real. It's not realistic. We will never attain perfection. So if that's the thing that we're striving for, we're always going to feel guilty or ashamed or disappointed in ourselves. So it can be a really vicious cycle. And in that little skit that I did with myself acting it out, I paused, I took a breath, I reminded myself that these are just parts of me and they're parts of me that are just trying to keep me safe. And when I remember that, I can actually have compassion for these parts of myself. And then I turned to these parts of myself and I gave the reminder that I'm enough. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with my child. You know, I think in that particular skit, I was um, reflecting on a really tough parenting moment where my, you know, strong-willed child was having a temper tantrum and I was really unhappy with how I had responded, um, feeling like I had messed him up, you know, forever because of how I snapped at my child. And in that moment, I needed to remember that I'm okay, I'm enough, right? And I don't need to be perfect. And there's nothing wrong with me. I'm human. And that there's nothing wrong with my child. Because I think sometimes in these moments where we're having this really big power struggle with our child or they're having a tantrum or acting out, we can worry. There's anxiety, worry that maybe there's something wrong with kid, that they're behaving this way. Or maybe there's something wrong with me and that's why they're behaving this way, right? So it's just this reminder, this compassionate reminder. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm human. And there's nothing wrong with my child. They're human too. And once I get to a place of being able to pause and slow down, then if there is something that I feel like I could use more support around, like, you know, therapy for myself um, to maybe process some of my, um, some of my old, own childhood stuff that I feel like is, you know, coming up and being triggered in these tough moments. Or maybe I do want to ask the pediatrician some questions or get some support for my child. Um, you know, for instance, my strong-willed child has sensory processing challenges. And I know where to go to get support when I feel like things are, are struggling and I don't know how to help my child in these tough moments based on his needs. And so once I slow down, then I know where to go get support. But first, I need the reminder that I'm enough. I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. And that my child, my child is okay. And I can be the parent to help support them if there are things that I do feel like um, are resources that I do feel like could be helpful to us. But first, I got to slow down and show myself some compassion in, in that tough parenting moment. We wanted to take a quick break to mention our sponsor, BetterHelp. 
A lot of what we're talking about in this episode is that overstimulation, having a challenging kiddo, all of these things are things that I discussed with my BetterHelp counselor. She really helped me figure out ways that I could navigate through these things by giving me prompts. One of them was, Amy, it's okay if Drew parents differently than you. Actually, it's a good thing. They'll have two examples to grow up with. And that right there just helped me to really understand that we are two different people that are going to have two different ways of parenting. So counselors are amazing because they can just give you those little helpful tidbits that you can bring back into your marriage or back into your parenting. And it's really helpful for the whole family. So if you guys want to use BetterHelp, you can go to betterhelp.com backslash herself. That's betterhelp.com backslash herself to get 10% off your first month and join the over million people that are using BetterHelp's services. Already so many good reminders, and we in a little bit are going to talk more about strong-willed children. So I love that you previewed that for us. When you and I were chatting about how we could best serve this audience today, you suggested talking about mom rage and how it relates to mental health. So I've shared openly with our listeners and followers that this has been a struggle of mine. I'm a mom of three little boys, and during the pandemic, there were times when I felt like I was just hanging on by a thread. We didn't have our normal level of support, and it impacted the way that I was able to mother. At times, this came out as rage, and that felt so out of alignment with me. So I want to talk about this and about how mom rage does relate to mental health. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's first, I want to say you're definitely not alone. I mean, I think in this past year, I mean, outside of this past year, anger, irritability, rage as a parent is so much more common than we might think because it oftentimes is a lot of shame around it. So it's not discussed. But this past year, we were all doing so much more as parents with less support and help. And it's just not it's just not realistic. It's not doable. Like it's, it is, we were as parents put in a really, really tough situation. We have less opportunities to get breaks, to get space, to just regroup. And, you know, whether you're, whether it's stemmed from, you know, just sensory overload um, or from anxiety or depression or just lack of support and overwhelm, rage, anger, irritability, is can be something that's really common in response to, to, to these experiences. And so let's talk a little bit first just about anger. Um, just like we are wired for fear, it's there to let us know when a threat is there to keep us safe. And then anxiety is there to let us to kind of think of all the potential threats. We are also wired for anger. Anger can show up as a core human emotion when we feel like our rights have been violated, um, a boundary has been crossed, and it can give us the oomph and the energy by put, turning on that sort of fight-flight system. But again, here it's the fight system to defend ourselves, to set a boundary, and that can be really important important and really powerful. It's sort of that um, take action emotion. Sometimes though, and oftentimes anger can show up in this sort of secondary role where there might be an underlying more vulnerable experience such as feeling overwhelmed, 
feeling hurt, feeling sad, um, feeling a lack of support, feeling unheard. And instead of expressing that or um, letting that kind of come to the forefront, you know, anger shows up as like a protector emotion. And not that anger feels great, but sometimes that vulnerability that's underneath is harder to access or feels too scary to express, right? We don't feel comfortable. It's, it's actually even more uncomfortable to show that vulnerability than it is to have that protector emotion anger come in and show up instead. And so, you know, if I'm feeling overwhelmed or like I'm just feeling really sensory overstimulated and my child is whining and the dog is barking and my partner asks me a question or says, well, you know, or like says something that makes me feel like they're accusing me of why the child is whining, I might lose it, right? Um, I might lose it on my partner, on my dog, on my child. And now I'm yelling, I'm screaming, maybe I'm cussing, maybe I'm slamming doors. And there can be so much shame around these moments and these action that we take. Um, but again, it's that part of us, again, just the part. It's that anger that's jumping in the driver's seat as sort of a protect motion. Because maybe now if I get loud, maybe now you'll hear me, you know? Um, or maybe if I'm loud, then maybe you'll, you'll, you'll get away from me so I can get the space that I, I'm so craving. When it comes to depression or anxiety, like when is rage actually a sign of like a mental health condition that, you know, really requires, um, you know, professional support? Well, oftentimes we know that that's the case because it's accompanied by other symptoms as well, right? I mean, I can not be experiencing an anxiety disorder or a depressive disorder and still have mom rage. And that oftentimes is an indicator that I need a break. I need support. Um, I need to make a game plan with my partner so that I can get support um, or with my support system. But if I'm also, along with the rage and irritability, I'm also maybe experiencing hopelessness. Um, it's impacting. I'm feeling like I can't function on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I'm feeling like that I'm also having physical symptoms, um, headaches, stomach aches. I am having a hard time concentrating. Sleep is being impacted. If I also find myself feeling really hypervigilant um, and worrying a lot and having really intrusive thoughts, if there's other symptoms connected to the rage and irritability, then this could be a sign that there's actually, um, you're actually maybe experiencing a depressive episode and rage irritability can be symptoms of depression, or maybe you are experiencing generalized anxiety and irritability can absolutely be a symptom of anxiety. And so, you know, we want to look to see what else is happening. We want to look at the context, other symptoms that are happening around, along with the rage and irritability, but just in general, taking a moment to zoom out and take a look at what is happening in my life right now. Am I getting enough time alone? Like, do I feel supported? What is underneath the anger? So, you know, I, I mentioned earlier the intervention that I'll do with clients around anxiety and kind of externalizing it. And I'll do the same thing with clients around rage and anger. Let's pull this part of you out and sit it on the couch. What does it feel like to be in the presence of this part of you? Like, what is the story that this part of you wants to share? What are the experiences that maybe this part of you has had that has led to this sort of in automatic reactive response in moments when you're feeling like you're not being heard, 
where, when are other times in your life when maybe you have felt that, you know, because a lot of times this automatic reactivity that we have around rage and anger, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. A lot of times there's some sort of experiences that we've had that have led to these like little brain connections that when we feel for instance, unheard or like we're not being listened to or supported, there's something there that our brain says, oh, I remember this. When this happens, you need to get loud to be heard. And then we react in that way, right? Or we just feel like we need to protect ourselves in these moments. So we react in this sort of fight, fight or flight response. And so a lot of times there's underlying stuff happened there um, that for anybody, I think can be really important to explore, to better understand your reactivity in these moments, because that's going to help you be able to slow down and begin to rewire your brain to respond in a new way in these moments with your child, with your partner, gosh, even with your pet. You know, I think our dogs and our pets sometimes can get the brunt of this rage and irritability because, you know, we can't talk to them, you know, and that it could be like the last straw sometimes, you know, and unfortunately sometimes that can happen. And so, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Um, but that's, it can be definitely related to a mental health condition, but also it can just show up because parenting can be really triggering sometimes for us. Mm, it sure can. And for many of us, we don't connect the dots. So we think of depression as just being sad. We think of anxiety as just being worried, but Really, a yeah. lot of those are just the tip of the iceberg, and there's so much more that goes underneath. Exactly. And let's talk about let's talk about the dog. You just brought that up, and this is a topic <laughs> that we have never covered before on the podcast. But you speak on it so well. And this one, it's hard for me to admit out loud, but I know that there are others that are in the same boat with how much our fur babies can be a trigger for us. So I rescued yeah. our dog Ari. He's 11 and a half now. So this is before I became a mom. It's before I even met Colin. And he has been such a great part of our lives. So I'm going to preface it there. But also, at times, I can just feel his demand. I can feel his needs, his barking, his whining at the door. Literally the second I sit down, after the kids are finally asleep, he starts whining. And this really adds to so much of my sensory overload and sensory overwhelm that you talked so well Oof. about at the beginning. Yes. Ugh. It can be. It's, I know it's okay. I shared a post recently about, you know, just why, why dogs can be so triggering. And for me, yes. I said it specifically for a postpartum after you have a baby, why your dog can be such a trigger for you. And the response to this was overwhelming. Like, so, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if any post I've ever shared has received so many comments um, because people resonated so deeply with this. And it's not just dogs. I mean, any, any pet. Um, we have a bird and you may have heard the bird tweeting um, a little bit earlier and um, it's my, my son's pet whom he loves, but like, oh my gosh, can that bird sometimes add to my sensory overload? But when it comes to pet, if you want to talk, you know, first just about postpartum, right? Like First, there's the potential hope of like your pet, you know, being a protector for your baby and like seeing that bond and connection between your fur baby whom you love and have this connection with and now your little human baby. There can also be a lot of feelings though, right? Some worry about what that's going to look like and or grief about um, what that's going to mean for your dog. I know for me, my dogs before we had our first, they were my babies. Like I still remember crying in 
in my doctor's office right before I was about to give birth, like a week before my due date, literally crying because I was so worried about the dogs and how it was going to impact them. Same. Exactly the same. Yeah. (laughs) And then our daughter was born and it just felt like one more little thing, little creature that needed me. And I remember like being so touched out and then my dog would come and like lay lay its head on my lap. And I was just like, I don't want to be touched right now. Like I don't have time. I don't have the energy. And I felt so guilty. And when I was, I was experiencing anxiety, my partner was experiencing depression. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes for men, depression can show itself as irritability. So we were both irritable (laughs) towards, especially towards each other and towards our dogs because they would, you know, the baby would go down for a nap and then they would bark and then they would wake up the baby and they would, you know, they were feeling anxious because of all the change that was happening. And they wanted to follow us into the bathroom. And it's like, you know, the bathroom was like the one place to escape, to get alone time. And then the dogs pawing at the door, you know, it, it was just really overstimulating, overwhelming, but there was so much guilt, just like swimming in that experience too. And so, yeah, our dogs can be, our pets can be major triggers for sensory overload, for overstimulation, for just being something else, someone else who needs us. And I I actually just had an interview. um, I interviewed yesterday, Dominica from Dog Meets Baby for my podcast, Holding Space. And she is an incredible resource. So for your listeners, I would say go follow Dominica from Dog Meets Baby. Um, my episode with her will go live sometime in August of 2021. And so you could tune into that too. She just she offered so many creative ways to navigate this relationship with your dog and your children, but also just sort of normalizing the feelings and experiences that can come with this. And I just don't think people talk about this enough, right? But it sounds like for you and it was for me, my our dogs are like family. And to have that challenging um, those challenges in those, in that relationship, right? Not just with my partner, with my child, but with my dog, that was a really distressing relationship challenge to navigate. And so I wish people talked more about it. Um, because then I think if we're talking more about it, we would feel less alone in that experience. And then we would take steps to be proactive and get support. You know, just I'll, I'll share one, you know, thing that Dominica had shared was a lot of times when you're postpartum, if somebody is coming to over to help, they might think in their mind, well, I can cook for you. I can clean. That'd be great. I can hold the baby um, while you rest. Um, but gosh, how great would it be if someone came over and said, can I take the dog for you for a while? Like, I'll take the dog to the dog park. I'll take the dog for a walk. Um just so that the dog gets some exercise and, you know, you get some time, (laughs) um, separation from each other. So maybe you can have some space to think of some creative ways to make this work in the home with the baby. I mean, I just think there's a lot of ways that we can be getting more support in that relationship as well. And, um, dog meets baby on Instagram is a great resource too therapist supported way to help your friends out. That is my go-to move. I can't make lasagna. I'm not all that great at cleaning other people's homes, but I will always be the one to take your dog for a walk. So I'm glad you brought that one up just as another way for people to be able to help out their friends if they're trying to figure out what else can I do. If they want to be a supporter, if they want to help out, but they just don't know where to start. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's something we don't often think to offer, but a lot of times there's struggles there, you know, um, and this goes beyond postpartum. Um, I mean, this can go into like, you know, I, I have a baby, but I also, um, had a couple years there without a baby when my children, my two older ones were school age and the dogs can still be a trigger because, you know, they, they eat something they're not supposed to. They get into something. They're wipe. They're wiping their butt on the floor. They're throwing up. They're pawing at doors. They're barking in moments that are, you know, not convenient. And so I just think it's really important to honor that that's also a relationship that you're in with your pet, right? And how can we get support around that too? Maybe um, talking to our partner about game plans so that we can divide and conquer having alone time, special time, just with your pet to kind of just feel connected again. Um, but also setting up boundaries. Like if you don't want your dog in the bathroom with you, like, you know, doing some work to, to not have your dog in the bathroom with you, you know, so you can just be alone and not be touched for, you know, gosh, 10 minutes. <laughs> Okay, a quick break from one of our podcast partners, which is Gooder. Most people know Gooder for their sunglasses, which we have tons of pairs. Absolutely love them for their sunglasses. But Amy and I also both love them for their blue blockers. So we both own a pair of the modern day snake oil. So cute, so stylish, and they protect our eyes from the screens. And in the podcasting world, we are on screens quite a bit. So you guys can get 15% off by going to Gooder.com and using code HERSELF15. This is 15% off their entire website. So grab a few pairs of shades for you, for your partner, for your friends, and check out some of their blue blockers. Again, that's Gooder, G-O-O-D-R.com, and using code HERSELF15 for 15% off. One subject that we did want to get into with you is on raising a strong-willed child. So I'm right there raising one, and I'm sure other people listening are raising one too. And if you have one, you likely know. So let's dive into the subject. What are your suggestions for helping the child be who they are while also maintaining our parental sanity? I saw in one of your captions, you talked about co-regulation and positive internalization, and I want to hear all the details about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, co-regulation is so important. And honestly, I think that we've, we've here been talking about this maybe without even knowing it up until this point. Like what I mean is that a lot of what we've talked about so far is exploring ways that we as parents can identify our triggers and can regulate ourselves during tough moments. Because if I am dysregulated. I'm going to have a really hard time supporting my child in regulating themselves in tough moments. So let's, let's kind of back and talk a little bit about having a strong-willed child. You know, I, I picture these, these children of ours that are so perseverant, so determined, right? They have such a strong will, like being the future, like leaders, (laughs) CEOs, like thought leaders, inventors. I mean, when they channel that energy, like, oh my gosh, they are going to move mountains. And I don't want to smash that, you know, like I don't want my child to grow up feeling this part of themselves is too much, right? Too much for the people around me. 
I'm too loud. I have too many opinions. I am too much. And so I'm going to like, you know, and there's different ways that, that children can internalize that belief about themselves. And then, and different ways that that can kind of, you know, that, that different ways in which they can grow up and that can show up. They might just keep that part of themselves dimmed. Um, they might just get louder. They might, you know, um, get more resistant. Um, they might grow up and feel like they don't, they can't trust other people. They can't trust others around them. They might hold those emotions in. They might find other ways to regulate those emotions or numb those feelings. And so, I want my child to know that these parts of themselves, these parts of him, uh, my son in particular is my strong little child, that this part of him is something that I love and that I want him to come to love about himself too. And the world is also going to have boundaries, right? Like just like we have boundaries, I, I set boundaries as a parent. So we still have to figure out how to navigate those boundaries in these tough moments with each other, but in a way in that he can be internalizing that like he is good. These parts of himself aren't something he needs to be afraid of and that I love him. Right. And I want him to internalize that to eventually become his own voice in which he loves himself. Right. So in these tough moments, first and foremost, I've got to recognize my own triggers. If I'm feeling dysregulated, um, and for me, for instance, I know that I'm starting to feel dysregulated when I feel this like burning in my throat. Like it's almost about to like burst over and spill over into like screaming or yelling. I feel it in my extremities. Like I just want to grab him or grab something, you know? So really tuning into your body to know when you've been triggered, identify what it seems, what seems to be the things that are triggering to you. And the reason is because you want to be proactive, right? So that we can create scenarios in which, you know, you're addressing those triggers ahead of time. Um, but also if you do get triggered, you're able to catch it before it spills over into a really dysregulated, um, you know, adult <laughs> tantrum um, where you're screaming or yelling or responding to your child in a way that isn't aligned with your values or how you want to be in connection or in relation to your child. So catching it, noticing it, breathing, like truly, like taking an inhale and a really, a really extended exhale to just come back to the here and now, regulating yourself so that you can support your child in regulation. And when, we're, when it comes to regulating our child, Every child really has different ways in which they ways in which they respond well to us that helps them kind of come back into their body and feel grounded and feel regulated. For my son, what seems to really help him is if I get down below eye level, it's almost like if I'm below eye level, I'm not going to be threatening, right? He's above me. If I get down on my knees below eye level and I ask him like, what's happening. I really hearing him like, what is it that you're needing right now? And then really just for him honoring the big feelings, like, wow, you must really want the iPad right now. I can really see how much you want the iPad. And I get my below eye level. And then he like in this mo that moment, still probably going to be like screaming, yelling because he wants it. And he's so perseverant. And one thing that him and I have developed with each other is a sort of ritual of like pulling him into my arms. I'm still setting the boundary, pull, pulling him into my arms and um, singing to him. We have a little song that we sing together and the singing is actually helping regulate me and regulate him. If you don't mind, I'll, I have not a great singing voice, but I'll sing the song to you. <laughs> 
because um, I think it'll make more sense how this helps him and I in this moment in co-regulation and internalization. So this song that I'll sing to him goes like this. I love you, love you, all the parts about you, perseverant determination, very goal-oriented. And then I'll repeat it. And when he was a toddler, we started this and he, I would like feel him kind of like take those like whimpering breaths, kind of like crumble into my arms when we did this together. And for him, he would say more, you know, like, it, and I would just start yeah. to hear him breathe slower and singing actually has been shown to be regulating for the person who's doing it. Um, so actually that sort of vibration of your voice um, actually does trigger this parasympathetic system in your body. So singing, humming can have a regulating effect for you. And it's a reminder about these parts of my child that I do love and that are going to do great things for him one day, but are also just tough parts to parents sometimes. And we've been doing this for so long that he has truly internalized this. The other day we were having a tough moment and I was setting a boundary and I kind of lost my patience and kind of snapped at him and had to repair that later on. Cause you know, not perfect. And he said to moment, he's like, mom, I'm just really goal oriented. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> touche, touche, my child, you are, you are right. And we kind of laughed and he kept pushing like, and I had to set the boundary um, and I had to repair for losing it. But you know, he's what I, what I want is because I'm imperfect because I'm going to have mom rage sometimes and I'm going to get irritable and I'm going to snap and I'm going to yell in that moment. What I want my child to know is, okay, mom's kind of losing it right now, but I know from experience and I've had enough experiences now with her to know that this part of me isn't something that she is thinking I should not be. And I know she's going to apologize soon, you know, like that, that, and what that helps is for my child in a moment when I'm dysregulated now that he's six, almost seven, he's beginning to be able to regulate himself. Even when I'm losing it, because we've done enough, we've had enough of these experiences where I've been able to regulate myself, support him in these moments, honor that, that these parts of him are really beautiful parts of him, but also, hey, still got to stick with the boundaries because that's my job is to keep you safe um, and to uh, you know make the rules. But in, even in a moment now when I'm dysregulated, he can begin to do the work of regulating himself. And that's why I think being an imperfect parent is a beautiful gift to give your child. Because if you were perfect, they would be so unprepared for this imperfect, messy world and for future relationships. Like I want my child to witness me being imperfect so that they know that they get to be imperfect, that they get to learn how to repair when you do make a mistake or lose it or have a tough moment. And to give them a chance to kind of learn how to regulate themselves, even when I'm not there to help them co-regulate because I'm dysregulated. So I think that there's lots of ways in which in these moments, we, again, coming back to what we said in the beginning, can remind ourselves when our child is really pushing us that there's nothing wrong with our child, right? Like they are perseverant. They are determined. And this, this strong will is a beautiful thing really, really tough to parent. So you got to give yourself some compassion there. <laughs> really tough to parent, 
but a beautiful part of who they are. And if we can help give them the message that, yes, I'm still going to hold the boundary because that's my job, but I love you and I'm not scared of this part of you. I can still be near you even when you have these big feelings and you're trying to push so hard. I'm not going to put you on a timeout. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to storm away or yell. I mean, gosh, I will probably do that sometimes because I'm not perfect, but like I can be with you in these tough moments and honor this part of you. You know, I think that child's going to grow up to, you know, believe that they are good to, to love themselves, to be able to channel these parts of themselves into doing some really amazing things. And that's, that's my hope for my strong-willed child. And that's my hope for all of the parents of strong-willed children. Um, and that's why I want to talk more about these topics um, and offer the support and resources for these parents because it can be really tough to parent, (laughs) but um, these are really, really cool kids they're raising. Yeah. And I loved that answer and all the insight you provided because I think at first, you know, I think there's a lot of like, you feel like there's something wrong with you as a parent, or you might feel like, man, what is wrong with him? He's so especially for me, it was my second child. So it was a brand new experience. And yeah. and you're kind of like, I'm the same parent. Like, what is what is happening? But I think most of us that have been doing it for a while, like you really do figure out what works for them. And so if you're just in the beginning of this, like just solidarity, but also encouragement, because you do start to figure out what really works for your child and you see what a special relationship that you can have with them. Yeah. Like I know definitely there are some kids who, you know, for my son, he does have sensory processing challenges. And so he actually really benefits from being held tightly. Um, It kind of helps him know where he is in space when he's feeling really dysregulated. But I know that there's lots of kids who in tough moments, like if you try to hug them or scoop them up, like they don't want to be held yet. Like my oldest, my daughter is that way. Like she needs a little bit of space first, right? Before he's ready to kind of be embraced. But with her, I, even though she might resist me touching her, holding her, and I'm going to respect that and give her her space, I'm not going to leave. So I'm still going to be there for her and let her know that when she's ready, I'm there. And my kids do love singing. Um, Singing really seems to, in these tough moments, help them regulate and feel calmer. Um, And research actually backs that up. But I might not do that while holding her because she doesn't want to be held, you know, but I'm not going to leave. I'm still going to let her know that I'm there. I'm just going to give her a little bit of space while she's having her big feelings, um, but while staying present. So it's really just kind of identifying what your kid needs in these big moments and tough moments and trusting your intuition that you do know what your kid needs. Sometimes though, we've got to do our own work so we can really get in touch with that intuition, right? Because if we're getting triggered, there's probably a lot of old stuff, our own history coming up there. So that's why I think therapy can be a really great space for parents that feel like their child is having behavioral issues for parents to go do their own work too, to get the support that they need because it can be, yeah, really hard to raise strong-willed kids or deeply feeling kids. Um, or just toddlers or just kids in general, doing your own work can be a really great step so you can understand your own triggers. And when these moments are happening, you're able to pause and and you've done the work so you can really tap into your intuition uh, when it comes to your child and their needs in particular. 
And Dr. Cassidy, let's go into that a little bit further, because one of the biggest things that we like to talk about is making sure that women don't lose themselves as they become mothers. And I know for you, one of the things that you brought up was an Instagram summer break and how much that helped you. And as a fellow content creator, I'm proud of you. Like, I'm so proud of you for taking that time away from Instagram because it was the work that you needed. So can you go into a little more detail on how you did it, why you did it, and also how it helps you? (laughs) Yeah. So I felt it in my bones that I needed some space from the digital space for myself. Um, For me as a content creator, I was realizing how much of the margins of my day are being taken up. And by margins, I mean, just like the moments when you could just be like, I don't know, like by yourself or just like outside or just taking a break uh, mentally from the mental load of motherhood and just work, all the margins in my day were being taken up by content creation. Even if I was just like brainstorming ideas and I love creating content for social media, like those skits that I put together are so fun for me, but my brain was always thinking of new ideas and my little inner creative was getting a little burnt out from that. And I, it was the month of June. My kids were going to be home from school, not doing any camps. We were doing some traveling and I just wanted to be present for that. And I think social media can be such a great place for feeling less alone when you begin to hear about things like dogs being a trigger and mom rage and (laughs) raising strong-willed kids. It's really cool to be a part of a community where you feel like, oh gosh, this is a thing. I'm not the only one. But it's also a place where there can be so much comparison. And for me as a content creator, I'm always receiving questions and I want to get to all of them. And it's a lot. It's a lot to carry. And I needed some space and I felt it in my bones. I felt myself being more on edge, more irritable. I just knew that if I had more margins in my day and more space, I would actually probably come back to the social media feeling more creative um, because I gave my inner creative some space to breathe and just like regroup. And I would feel more present with my kids. I would be able to sort of model better screen time boundaries with them being home all the time. And it was amazing. I took a whole month off of Instagram. I just came back yesterday and it took me like a week. This is kind of, I feel some shame around admitting this, but I will admit it because I know I'm not alone that I took like a week, honestly, to like detox where I had to resist tapping the app, you know, and opening it. So I actually had to remove it from my home screen. And then after that week, I woke up and it wasn't the first thing I was opening. I wasn't thinking about ideas, new ideas all the time. I wasn't carrying around all of, you know, the unanswered questions that I hadn't gotten to from people who left comments or DMs. And I was just so much more present with the kids. And I really enjoyed our vacations because I was so much more present for them. I mean, granted, they were still messy because traveling with young children is hard, (laughs) but I wasn't on top of that trying to, you know, keep up with um, the work that I do on social media or having to be witnessing everybody else's curated highlight reels of social media. And it was just really nice to get that space. I needed it. And so if anybody is, feels that in their bones when they open the app, that they leave feeling worse or like they just, they need more margins in their day and social media is taking up or scrolling is taking up so much of that, those margins. Gosh, take a moment to ask yourself, like, could I use a break from this? And 
find a way to make that work for you. I, I really 10 out of 10 recommend it for anybody who feels yeah. like they could use it. And I think it also gave me space to kind of rework what I want my boundaries to be around the app and what my goals are for why I'm showing up, just realigning with my why. Um, because sometimes that can get lost when you're, you know, just comparing yourself to what everyone else is doing um, or just kind of getting swept up in the way the algorithm works, which really keeps you hooked into um, staying on and engaged all the time. And it's just not realistic, I think, as a human and as a parent to always be so hooked in, you know? Yeah, I absolutely love that. So I feel like it's one of these things, take what you need. For me, I have been just on the weekends taking hours and hours away from my phone, and that has worked so well. I have felt so happy doing that. So it's one of those things where you have to figure out what you need. But if your mind and body keeps telling you there's something you need, we would highly recommend listening. So Dr. Casty, thank you so much for being on our podcast and for talking about these subjects that really don't get enough light from raising a spirited child to having some fur baby resentment to mom rage. Like these are really important conversations. So I want you to tell everyone where they can find more of you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's like truly my why and my mission is to bring things that tend to live and fester in the shadows and bring them into the light. Um, so that their moms and parents can know that they're not alone. And maybe that can be a bridge for them to recognizing that they deserve support and that support is actually out there. So that's like my big goal and mission. And so I love all the topics that you asked me about today. These are like some of the major ones that I am like super passionate about. So thank you. And you can find me on Instagram and on um, Facebook. I am at Dr. Cassidy on Instagram. I have a podcast called Holding Space where I share conversations just like the one we had today covering topics related to all of these and more. I also host um, live workshops. I call them girls nights um, where you know, we kind of get together and we talk about topics like mom rage. Um, I have one coming up soon all about milestone anxiety. So the anxiety we can get about milestones for our babies and our kids. And so I love hosting these live Zooms just because it's so fun to get off the app and connect in real time. And I also have courses. I have a course with an OBGYN called Prepared Postpartum and Flourish in the First Year, where, where we bridge my world as a therapist and her world as an OBGYN and really um, put together a some a really great video course um, to prepare for postpartum, putting in place all the protective factors um, when it comes to mental health and relationships and bonding with baby and all, all those things. And so you can learn more about all of that, probably just through the link on my Instagram account at Dr. Cassidy and on my website, drcassidymft.com. So many good resources and you truly have something for everybody who is listening today. So thank you again for your insight, for your words, and for being the first one who sings a little song on our podcast. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting for my record deal there. So. <laughs> well, thank you again. Thank you for having me. 